Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. The second chapter, book of Acts, the second chapter, I will give you our Bible text for the seminar. They will be Acts 2.36, Philippians 2.5-11, and 1 Timothy 6.13-15. 1 Timothy 6.13-15. Let's read our scriptures first of all in Acts the second chapter and verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. And then Philippians, in the second chapter, we'll begin reading at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And then in first. Timothy, the sixth chapter, verse 13, verse 13, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in times, in his times, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is Lord. Now, let's refer back to our first scripture in the book of Acts, the second chapter. I want to point out to you The simple fact that God the Father made Jesus Lord. God the Father hath made Jesus Lord. Let's read it again. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly. Let them know it for a fact. 
let them be quite sure of this fact, that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, in the Greek, the word there for Lord means supremacy or supreme in authority. As a matter of fact, this is used, this title is used for Jesus or for Christ throughout the New Testament over 700 times. You'll find it over 700 times that it says that Jesus is Lord or referring to Christ as Lord or as the Lord. It means supreme in authority or supremacy. Now, the word Christ here means the anointed one or the Messiah. And so, putting these meanings in the Scripture, we find out that God made Jesus supreme in all authority and the anointed Messiah. God made him that. God made him supreme in authority and he made them the anointed Messiah. Now, another translation of that word Lord could be master or God. He made him master. He made him Lord. He made him God. Pretty good title, wouldn't you say? Well, it's, I believe it's important in the life of every believer that we understand completely and thoroughly how the Father made Jesus Lord and why the Father God had to make Jesus Lord. Why did he have to make him Lord? I mean, wasn't he always Lord? How did he make him Lord? How did he make him supreme in all authority? Do we fully grasp and understand in our hearts what steps were involved in making Jesus Lord? Now, remember, we're talking about making Jesus Lord. Christ came, we know, from the bosom of the Father. He was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But he didn't get the name Jesus until he became a man. In his incarnation, he became flesh. The Word became flesh. His name was Jesus, or Emmanuel, God with us. Well, God the Father made Jesus Lord or supreme in all authority. And I believe we need to find out how far-reaching the authority lies. How far-reaching is this authority? How supreme is this Jesus of Nazareth? How supreme is that one that's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now? How far-reaching is His Lordship? I believe that if we'll understand this, I believe we'll have some answers to a lot of questions that a lot of people are asking today. First of all, number one, why am I here? What am I doing here? You ever try to witness somebody and they just don't even understand why they're here? What are they doing on this earth? Why are they here? Secondly, why is the world like it is? Especially right now in this here time, we talk about you know, people talk about all the problems, the recession and etc. and this and that, and nobody's getting jobs and people's having problems. Why are people killing each other, murdering and etc. etc. We've got a lot of problems in the world today. We don't deny that. But someone might ask, why is the world like it is today? How come? And then thirdly, I think this is probably one of the questions that gets me most right here. It'll really reach to anybody that knows God's plan of redemption and salvation. But the question is asked from a lot of people, what has God done for me? Has God done anything for me? I mean, here I am. I'm on this earth. God's up there on His throne. What has He done for me? 
Anything? If he has, I, I don't know it. You're fixing to get your question answered this, before the seminar is over. And finally, fourth of all, why doesn't God help me or what in the world can I do to get help? What can I do? Sometimes it seems as though we're going through life and we don't know what, we, you know, what can I do? Why isn't God helping me? And people uh, have a hard time trying to understand and grasp the things of God, especially when you get into the area of faith and the supernatural. They wonder, you know, is he really out there? Can he really help me? Can I be assured of heaven? Can I be assured to get my healing? Can I be assured to get my needs met? What do I have to do to get this eternal God to help me? What do I got to do, you know, to get this, this God of all the creation to help me? Well, you're going to get that question answered also. Some of them end up saying, you know, my life is a mess. Circumstances of life that are all around me are pulling me down and weighing me down. I lost my job. I don't have any hope. You know, my family's broken up and my wife, my husband, my relationship, our relationships are being destroyed. Circumstances are controlling our lives. Finances are, are bad, etc., etc. And before you know it, you know, you just get yourself into all kinds of depression and oppression and you just don't know where to turn. Is there a place to turn? Can I really find help? Is this Jesus really Lord? Is Satan invincible? Can he be defeated? Can he be dethroned? Or was he dethroned? Can he be defeated in our life? Are we more than conquerors? Or are we the conquered? I believe the Bible has all the answers. I believe the Word of God has all the answers to our questions. And if you'll just turn for a minute with me back to that book of Philippians, the second chapter... Does the Lordship of Jesus reach only heaven or does the Lordship of Jesus reach all the earth and beyond? I believe we need to know that. In the book of Philippians, the second chapter, just find it there and while you're finding it. I believe it's important for us in order to understand any subject of the Bible to understand four basic principles or four basic things or four basic thoughts in your heart. You've got to understand these four thoughts. If you're going to understand the Bible, if you're going to understand the answers to these questions, if you're going to understand how to get your needs met, you have to understand these four thoughts. Number one, you have to understand how God intended it to be in the beginning. You need to understand that. How did God intend life to be from the very beginning? What was in His intention from the start when He created all things? What was His intention for the human race? What was His intention for the world? Was it to be like it is today? Is God ruling this world? Is He the one that's causing all the problems? Is He the one that's causing little children to die of starvation? Is He the one that's causing people, to, your loved ones, to die of cancer and tuberculosis and all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases? Is this God of creation, did He intend this from the very beginning? We need to know that. If He did, then we've got to live under it. If He didn't, then we have power over it. Number two, we need to understand how, through man's committing high treason and through his fall, Satan imposed his will upon man. What happened to the world? What happened to God's creation? What took place? We need to know that. We need to understand that. How did that affect our lives? How did that affect the world? What kind of effect did it have on the animal kingdom? What kind of effect did it have, you know, on the vegetable kingdom? What kind of effect did this fall have, this great 
sin of high treason have over all the earth. Thirdly, we need to understand what effect God's plan of redemption had on the same creation. Heaven, earth, under the earth, our, our personal lives. What kind of effect did it have? Did God reestablish His will on the earth? Did God bring things back and reconcile things back into Himself and reestablish His will upon this earth? If He did, we need to know that. And fourth, finally, we, didn't, we need to know what we can do to submit our will to God's will so God's will can be done in our personal lives. We need to know how to do that. We've got to understand that. And if you'll take those four thoughts and start reading the Bible and understanding the Bible from those four thoughts, you'll begin to understand God's plan in every aspect of your life. The reason why people don't understand how to receive from God and get things from the Father and appropriate God's blessings in their lives is because they don't understand these four things. These four basic thoughts, you have to understand them, analyze them, meditate on them, and find out the answers to these questions. So in Philippians, the second chapter, let's just read from verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven. The supremacy of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, reaches heaven. Number two, he went on to say, things in earth. And really that word in the literal translation means things are beings in earth. Things are beings in heaven. Things are beings in earth. Things are beings underneath the earth. In heaven, in earth, under the earth. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is supreme in authority. How far-reaching is this authority? Heaven, earth, underneath the earth. We need to know that. We need to see Jesus exalted at the right hand of the majesty on high. We need to see him, according to these scriptures, seated in the highest position in the universe. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father now, and he holds the highest position in all the universe. How did God do that for him? How did God make it to be that way? Well, the Bible infers to us in Hebrews, you don't have to turn to it, the first chapter, verses 3 and 4, who being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He, Jesus, hath purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as He by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. We see Jesus exalted at the right hand of the Father God. And we're going to follow the pattern. We're going to follow the steps to find out each step that this Jesus of Nazareth took from the beginning. Christ being made flesh, dwelling among us, humbling himself as a man, suffering the consequences of sin and death. And then being raised up from that death, from that grave, to be exalted on high, to be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, with a name above every other name, that every knee shall bow in all three worlds to the Lordship of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That means hell. And all those that are in the regions of the damned, all of Satan and all his cohorts have got to bow to this eternal, immaculate Son of God. 
Well, when we understand this, you're going to understand four things. Number one, Jesus regained the glory he had when he left the bosom of the Father. Or shall I say Christ? Christ, leaving the bosom of the Father, had to give up his glory. He set it aside to come to the earth and humble himself as a man. Secondly, he regained the lordship over all of creation that Adam forfeited in the fall. Third, now that's on the earth. Third, he is Lord over sin. He is Lord over death. He is Lord over disease. He is Lord over Satan. He is Lord over all the powers and the forces of darkness. That's how far reaching his lordship is. That is hell. Lord in heaven, Lord on the earth, Lord in hell. And now you're ready for the greatest, most blessed truth of all. Everyone that makes Jesus Christ Savior of their life, everyone that is born again, has the privilege of having Jesus Christ of Nazareth being your own personal Lord and Savior. Your own personal Lord. The one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, the one who is supreme in all authority has become not only Lord of heaven, not only Lord of earth, not only Lord underneath the earth, but Lord of your personal life if you're born again. That means he is Lord over the circumstances of your life also. Amen? Amen. He is the answer to many, many problems. Well, in John's Gospel, if you remember... The 16th chapter, verse 28, Jesus said, I came forth from the Father, I came into the world, and again I'm leaving the world, and I'm going back to the Father. Now, did Jesus do all that and leave all that glory just so that he can come on down this earth, live upon this earth, humble himself upon this earth, walk upon this earth, die upon this earth, go and suffer in the regions of darkness, then be raised up from the dead and go back to the Heavenly Father and sit down? Did he do all that just for himself? If he did, that it sounds like it's awful silly to me. I mean, he was doing pretty good at the bosom of the Father before he came. Amen? I mean, there he was in the bosom of the Father. He created all things. All things were created by him. And without him was there not made anything that was made. I mean, this eternal one is seated up there. He's, he's, the, he's the second person of the Trinity. He didn't have to leave all that and come on down here just for himself. He was already glorious. But he did all this. Who did he do it for? He did it for you. He did it for me. He didn't do it for himself. We need to know that. We need to know why he did all these things. In the first place, Satan had no power over him when he was at the, in the bosom of the Father, did he? Satan had no power over him when he was upon this earth, did he? Satan had no power over him when he was resurrected from the dead, did he? Well, if Satan never had any power over Jesus Christ, then what was the purpose of his coming? What was the purpose of his dying? What was the purpose of all this? Just so he can go back up there and sit down and say, I did it? No. He did it so that you and I could be exalted and lifted up with him. He went on to say that if I would be lifted up from that grave, if I would be lifted up, I would draw all men unto me and to myself. And where I am, you can be also. You can reign with me as a king on this earth if I am the Lord of your life. Now, in 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, just, again, we'll just read that again. There's two aspects of it. Let's look at the third aspect of it. 
and then we'll get into our teaching in a minute. This is just an introduction. Amen? I told you I got a lot in my spirit. <laughs> Sixth chapter of 1 Timothy. Look at verse 15. Which in his times he shall show. In his time he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's coming a time, my friends, when Jesus Christ of Nazareth will appear in the sky and his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives and everybody on this earth is going to see that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only potentate, the eternal one, the glorious one, the, the one that's in supreme authority. Jesus of Nazareth is coming back to prove himself on the earth. Well, I don't know about you, but just talking about that excites me. But you say, just how glorious is this one? Just how glorious is this Jesus of Nazareth? How far-reaching is his glory? How far-reaching is his authority? You know, if you stop and think about it, well, let's stop and think about it. Let's stop and think about it. How glorious is he? How wonderful is he? How much authority did he gain? How high was he exalted? Well, if you recall in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, towards the end of the chapter, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders were given worship and praise unto God. You remember that? And they were saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, which is to come. Heaven and earth are filled with your glory. You created all things for your pleasure. That's why they were all created. He's worthy of honor and praise and glory. Speaking of the heavenly Father seated on his throne. Now imagine this. We're not talking about kings of the earth. We're not talking about somebody in a high office like the President of the United States of America sitting on his throne. We're talking about the one that created all things. There he is seated on his throne. And there are the four beasts. There are the four and twenty elders bowing down before him that liveth forever and ever. The Father God saying, holy, 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 worshiping him day and night. Just praising him and worshiping him and magnifying him. When all of a sudden we scoot over to chapter five to find out something else and someone else that was in the midst. And if you recall the vision that was shown to this great beloved apostle, John the Beloved, there in that book of Revelation, the fifth chapter, right after they got done or during their ministry of worshiping the Father God, and you can understand him being worshipped because he is the Father, it shifts over and he begins to see some other things. He says, and as they were worshiping, I saw in his right hand a book, the one that sat upon the throne, a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And he says, I heard a saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. And he said what? Is any man worthy to come and take this book and loose the seals thereof? There was no man in where? No man in earth. No man under the earth. There wasn't anybody in heaven. There wasn't anybody in earth. There wasn't anybody underneath the earth that was able or worthy to come and take that book and loose the seals thereof. Or even look thereon. John said, I wept. I wept much. I mean, he's before the throne. 
I mean, he's looking at the Father. He's right there before the Father God. And he began to weep. He knew the importance of this book. He knew it was very important. But I began to weep, he said. But one of the elders came and said to me, Don't weep, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he hath prevailed to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. And John says, I beheld, and in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book, not off the president, not off a king, an earthly king. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on that throne. And when he had taken the book, the same four beasts, the same twenty and four elders, four and twenty elders, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a brand new song. They changed their song from worshiping the Father, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you made us to our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign in the earth. And John said, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive riches and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing, and every creature which is where? In heaven. And every creature which is where? In earth. And every creature which is under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them is, heard I saying, blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be unto him that sitteth on the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down before him that liveth forever and ever. How far was he exalted? He was exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, seated before the eternal Father. Hallelujah. And when he broke in on the scene, all the worship went his way. And the Father said, do it. He's worthy. Glory. Notice it said, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, think about it. That's how far-reaching this glory is. That's how far-reaching His exaltation is. Can you imagine the dominion and the power He has? Well, if we're going to study this out, we're going to have to study it from four divisions. Number one, Adam made Lord. Number one. Adam made Lord. Number two, Satan made Lord. Satan made Lord. Number three, Jesus made Lord. And number four, who is your Lord? Who is your Lord? Adam made Lord, Satan made Lord, Jesus made Lord. Who is your Lord? And if you'll study these things in these four divisions, under Jesus' Lord, we have three subdivisions. If you want, I'll give them to you. Number one, His humility. Humility. Number two, His victory. 
And number three, his crowning. Number three, his crowning. Number one, Adam made Lord. In the book of Genesis, the first chapter, verse 26. Genesis, the first chapter, verse 26. As you begin reading here, we find out the answer to our first question. We find out God's purpose from the very beginning. We find out God's intention and His will. And God said, let us make man. Let us make man. Now, notice this. God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the earth, over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. First of all, the word there, dominion, means to rule or to reign. To rule or to reign. Adam was to rule or to reign over the earth, all the earth, over the animal kingdom, over the vegetable kingdom, over every living thing that liveth upon the earth. As a matter of fact, look at again verse 28. The latter part. I want you to notice that this dominion that was given to him is dominion in the earth. Adam was made Lord or Master or God over the earth underneath the Almighty God. His under shepherd, more so to speak. Or under Lord. And in the latter part of verse 28, there's something here I think you need to see because it was an eye-opener to me. And over every living thing that moveth. Now, the word there that moveth in more literal translation means seeding seed. Seeding seed. S-E-E-D-I-N-G. Seeding seed. And over every living thing, that seeding seed on the earth. Stop and think about it. The fish, the fowl, the trees, they all seed seeds, right? I mean, that's how they reproduce themselves. Isn't that right? So he said, uh, in essence, he said to Adam, Adam, I'm giving you dominion and rule and reign over every seeding seed upon the earth. Every living thing that liveth upon this earth, every living thing that is seeding seed on the earth, you have dominion over. Now, that's a pretty good statement. That shows you the extent of his lordship. Well, you're getting something new, but that's not anything new. If you stop and think about it from the very beginning, everything was made. This is called the law of Genesis. Everything reproduces after its own kind, right? Amen. So Adam had rule or dominion over every living thing that was seeding seed on the earth with the ability to reproduce itself. Okay? All right. Now, here we have number one, the question of number one, why am I here? Why am I here? And to put it in better terms, let's say it like this. The earth is the reason for the heavenlies. The earth is the reason that the heavenlies were made. 
Man is the reason for the earth. I mean, can you imagine an earth being here with no man? Can you imagine it being desolate of human life? I mean, there's animals and there's trees and etc. But that's all there is? Can you imagine that? What kind of world would it be? The reason why the earth is here is because of the, the, the heavens were made is because of this earth. The reason why the earth is here is because of man. See, man being God's crown of creation, God wanted him to have a place of dwelling, a place of ruling, a place, place of reigning, and that was this earth. He made him as himself, God, a God over a world system. Now, the Father God is the God over the whole thing. But Adam was made and created in the image and likeness of God to be the ruler, to be reigning over this earth. That's the reason why the earth was made, was so that his creation, Adam, could have something to rule over. Not to be ruled by, but to rule over. And then we find out the reason for man is the father heart of God. Doesn't that make you just want to shout on the inside that the reason why you're here is because God wanted to have a family? That's why you were created. All those other things are minor. See? And imagine on that day when all of creation, the beautiful trees and all the animals and etc. and etc. and etc. all the wonderful works that we see out there. We look at the stars and the sun and the moon and we marvel at all the beauty of them. But imagine what happened on the day that Adam was created. I believe everything on the earth, the animal kingdom, the vegetable kingdom, all the heavenlies began to sing an anthem of welcome to God's created man. Here he is, the crown of creation. That's why you're here, to rule, to reign over the earth. And Adam had that dominion. He had that ability. He had that power over every seeding seed upon the earth. Everything that existed that could reproduce itself in life, Adam had dominion and lordship over. That's the reason. I'll tell you what, I could shot right here for a while. See, man was not a mishap. Man was not a mishap. We are not here by chance. You are here because God designed it that way and you are as close to His heart as Jesus is right now. If you're born again. If you're not, you can be by receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. Now, God was well pleased with the way He made things. As you look at the second chapter, uh, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the host of them. That word finished means brought into perfection. Now, see, he brought everything into perfection. Everything was as his design, as he designed it to be. Stop and think about this kingdom. Stop and think about this world system. No sickness. Cancer, unheard of. Tuberculosis, I don't know what you're saying. Disease, what's that? Sin, huh? Lack, poverty, what? Those words were not found over the earth. Those words were not yet established in the heart of man. Those words were foreign words. They were from another kingdom. They were not introduced to this kingdom. No such thing as sickness and disease. No such thing as being laid off. No such thing as losing your job. No such thing as poverty. No such thing as losing your house. No such thing. Imagine that. No such thing as death, somebody dying. Unheard of. This was God's intention in the beginning. This is the will of God in the beginning. And he says, I have finished everything. 
or I have brought everything into perfection. I have made it the way I want it to be. What was the greatest responsibility of man? Let's say the first and foremost responsibility of man. Let's go back to Genesis 1.28 again. The greatest and the first and foremost responsibility of man in creation. This was God's intention from the beginning. Notice it. Ladies, hear me and hear me well. God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Man's first and foremost responsibility was to reproduce himself in the earth. It was not as though God was going to zappo a whole creation into existence at one time. He was not going to just zap a whole human race into existence in one shot. But he said, Adam and Eve, replenish this earth. Reproduce yourself. Seed your seed. He had power and dominion over every seeding seed in the earth. Now listen to me. That was God's intention in the beginning. That everyone that would be born would be reared up and trained and taught by Adam and Eve to love God. And there wouldn't have been no reason why not to. Because He's so good. And there was no sickness, disease, or death, or poverty, or fear, or worry, or doubt, or confusion. There was none of that stuff on the earth. That was God's intention. The woman is to take her place. And the man in producing seed on the earth. What a responsibility. To bring into being an eternal being, an eternal personality that will never die. Never die. What an awesome responsibility. That was, God's, that was man's responsibility given by God in the beginning. Notice that was before everything else. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And then those other things he said have dominion over the earth and so on and so forth. Well, let's go to the third chapter, verse 1. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I want to get more into Jesus as being Lord. But this is important. You have to understand this. It's vital that we understand this aspect of it before we can get into the other aspects of it. And I believe when we fully understand this, then the other parts of it will be magnified even greater. In the third chapter, verse 1, we realize that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of the tree, every tree in the garden, and you know the whole story, so on and so forth. A conversation between the, the devil through this serpent and, and Eve and etc., well, I want to state it this way. A living being came into the earth and sowed his seed. Adam had authority and dominion and rule over every living thing, over every creeping thing, over every seeding seed on the earth. But the devil, Satan, through the serpent, planted a seed. A seed of death into the heart of Eve. And in First Timothy we find out that Adam was not deceived, but Eve was deceived. She was in the transgression. And remember the curse brought upon her travail in, in bringing forth her seed? Remember that? But in Christ Jesus, she shall be saved from childbearing or saved from the travail and the pain of childbearing if she continue in the faith with sobriety and holiness. Remember that? I want you to see this and study it out with me so we can clarify a little bit better. As Satan came along and sowed his seed, and when he did, Eve was deceived. She began to act upon that. 
Adam was right there. Him not being deceived. He did it openly in the right, you know, light. He did it purposely. He became the Benedict Arnold of eternity. Not just the United States of America, but the Benedict Arnold of all eternity. And when he did, the seed of death was planted in the earth. And the person that had control and dominion over all the seed and seeding seeds that were on and in this earth, that person became spiritually dead. He died. You ready for some seeds now? The one that had the power and the authority and the responsibility of producing this godly seed no longer can produce godly seed. All he can produce is ungodly seed. Why do you think the woman's uh, conception was cursed? Let's read it. Let's look it over here in verse 14. Let's start with verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity, enmity between thee and the woman, and, listen to this, between thy seed and her seed. Between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, or lordship, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And to Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb, herb of, of the field in the sweat of thy face. Thou shalt thou eat bread till thou turn to the ground, for out of it thou was, wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And what he's actually saying in paraphrasing it, the seed that he was to produce, all the good seed, power and dominion over all the godly seed, he let the seed of death come into the, into the world system, into the earth system, and everything that was good was destroyed and cursed through the seed of Satan. And these are the effects that it had. Number one, it thwarted God's initial plan. God's initial will and plan was now thwarted. It could not come to pass as everything stands. Number two, it separated God from man. Man is separated from God. He has no approach to, to God. He's estranged from God. God cannot come to man. Man cannot go to God. Number three, Satan gained dominion over all of God's creation. Is that sad? Satan gained dominion over all of God's creation. Adam had it, but he committed high treason. Number four, the human race is in bondage to the devil, to Satan. Number five, the animal and the vegetable kingdom is cursed. We read it all right there in those few verses, 14 through 19. Well, that would be bad enough in itself. But those five things we just said say to you and to me that Satan has become Lord. Satan is Lord over the earth. Satan has captured the dominion of Adam over the earth. He becomes the ruler and he reigns in the earth. That would be bad enough. 
But it's a lot deeper than that. It's a lot further than that. We find out that Satan has become Lord over man. Man is in bondage to Satan. Satan is man's Lord. Satan was crowned Lord. Some scripture references that will help you out are 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, in whom the God of this world. Now, that wasn't God's intention from the beginning, was it? But in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them. Satan being referred to as the God of this world. Ephesians 6 and 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 2 and 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Satan is the God of this world. And Jesus in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel and verse 30 said he is the prince of this world. Well, you found out why, number one, you found out why you are here. And now number two, you have found out why the world is like it is. Why the world is like it is. This is why the world's like it is. Satan has taken over the dominion in the earth. He is the ruler over the earth. Well, he becomes man's father. You find that in John 8, 44. You don't have to look it up, but John 8, 44. Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, said that you are of your father, the devil. Remember that? Speaking to them, Satan became Lord. More than that, he became man's father. You are of your father, the devil. And you remember over there in Ephesians again, 2, verses 1 through 4, we are called the children of wrath. Those that are not born again are called the children of wrath. Satan is man's Lord, crowned Lord by man. Adam had the legal right to take all that he had, his legal dominion, and just turn it over and transfer it to Satan. Satan is ruling and reigning in God's earth. In Romans, the fifth chapter, we find... Let's turn to that one. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 12, we find a sad statement. We find the reign of death. There was no death, but now there is. There was no sin, but now there is. There was no sickness, but now there is. There was no disease, but now there is. There was no lack, but now there is. There was no curse, but now there is. There was no sorrow, but now there is. There was no pain, but now there is. This is the effect the fall had on creation. This is why the world is like it is today. And people want to know why all this is going on. Where is my help? What am I going to do? Has God done anything for me? Well, we're going to answer the question next. That'll be your third one. But right now we're talking about number two. Why this world is like it is. Why is there cancer? Why did this one die of this? Why did this one die of that? Why is there disease? Why does man have to die? Why can't man live on forever? Man could have lived on forever, but, you know, I just told you what happened. God's initial plan 
that he established in the beginning was thwarted by the devil. Adam turned it over. He, uh, Satan became the god of this world. Satan became the lord of this world. Satan has dominion over this world. And in Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. See, sin entered into the world by one man, Adam. And death by sin. There was no death, but death entered in by Adam. Death by sin. And so death passed upon all men in that all have sinned. Look at the first chapter of the same book of Romans. I'll give you the pitiable, pitiable picture of what took place in the fall. We saw the beautiful garden. We began to understand the, the beauty of creation, the crowning of that creation by man's existence and creation in the earth by the Father God. Man having rulership and leadership and lordship over all the earth and all the works of God's hands. And then all of a sudden this takes place and look what happened to the world. Here it is in Romans, the first chapter Begin with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their foolish imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. What a pitiable picture. Here is this man who was created in all that glory, who was created as God's ruler and reigner and leader and Lord over the, all the earth, who worshipped the eternal God, the, the great Father God. But now he has turned aside. The world becomes a ruler over him. The world system become, begins to rule over him. He is so in bondage to the devil, to the world, his mind is so blind. Instead of worshiping God, he worships, worships the birds. He worships the trees. He worships the moon. He worships the stars. And the curse, the blotting curse over all the earth begins to eat at him day by day, day by day, day by day. And he begins to cry out, Why is all this happening to me? I find no help in God. But yet he's worshiping everything else but God. See? That was the picture. And let's go on and read a few more verses to show you the whole picture. Verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. Can you imagine the day that Eve was created for Adam in all her splendor, in all her beauty, exactly the way Adam wanted her to be? And here now man is so just so cursed and so turned around and so hardened in his heart and so blinded in his mind that instead of loving the woman, he loves the man. You talk about a perversion of the intent and will of God from the very beginning. 
Would to God we could have seen Adam and Eve in their perfect state. And then realize that in this day and age and from that time on in the fall, man with man, women with women. Well, God gave them up. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Man is in a horrible state. Is there any way out? Is there any way out? Satan is Lord. He's the ruler. He's the one that's reigning. His seed is mighty on the earth. Not just one seed now, but every child that was born after Adam and Eve, every seeding seed after them are seeds of Satan's kingdom. This kingdom becomes Satan's. There it is. What's God going to do? What can He do? Has He done anything? Did He let it go like that? Did He turn His back on us forever for good? Is Satan Lord? Is Satan invincible? Can he not be stopped? Is his work in the heart of Adam far greater than any other work on this earth? Has Satan dethroned God in the earth? Has he taken over this kingdom to rule it and to reign it as, as he wants it to be ruled and reigned until his time is up? Do we have to be under his, his authority and power? I have a key for you. It's found in Genesis 3rd chapter, verse 15. Every seed of life is destroyed on the earth. There is no seed of God's life on the earth. Every seed in the heart of every human is that of evil. There's no righteous seed. There is no life. It's death. Every seeding seed on the earth is a seed of death. Man's seed contains within itself sin. And every child born after Adam and Eve is born into that sin through the blood of the Father. Think about it. The seed is contaminated. But in Genesis, the third chapter, verse 15, I want you to circle a key word. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and circle these two words and her seed. Her seed. Do you know that even in today, we have in our wildlife kingdom those that are so concerned about certain species being extinct that they take time to preserve their wildlife. Because should they get down to a place that there is no more seed, then there's no more animal. Right? And so they disallow hunting and that sort of thing in a certain species and until they breed more and so on and so forth and mate them and they have more. And then when they have an overabundance, then they're allowed to go ahead and, you know, hunt and that sort of thing. Well, the hunter came to the earth. And he got the last seed, the only seed of life. And it became extinct. There was no more seed. 
There's no other way for life to be reproduced in the earth because there's no more seeds. If there are no more tomato seeds, we can have no more tomato plants. If there are no more cucumber seeds, we can have any more plants. Just give me one seed that works, plant into the ground, and I'll give you a lifetime of cucumbers. Give me one seed, planet of tomato, plant into the ground. I'll give you a lifetime of tomatoes. Amen? Isn't that true? I mean, how many seeds can you get out of a tomato plant? Many, many, many. But all you need is one. But what are you going to do when there isn't one? You see God's dilemma? You see the problem He has? There's not one seed left. The whole world lieth in wickedness. Every seed is a seed of death. There's not a seed of life. Man's in a terrible state. He's on his way to hell. He's on his way to doom, destruction. The world's falling apart around him. What's he going to do? But the prophecy went forth from the bosom of the Father. He said, Thy seed and her seed. He prophesied there would come a day that a seed would come to the earth. In Genesis, the 15th chapter. Look at Genesis chapter 15. You know what God can do with one seed? Well, look at one tomato plant. One, what one tomato seed can do. Just one seed, what it can do. It can multiply seed on this, on this earth that you can have tomatoes forever. Amen. Genesis 15, verse 5. Speaking about Abraham, he said, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. God is making a way for a seed. One seed. One seed. And He's saying one seed in this earth. If, if I could just get one seed in this earth, I could make, make sure to it that that one seed can produce enough seed that, you can't, that the stars can't number them. All the sand that's along the seashore can't number all the seed that'll be out of this one seed. Just one seed. It took one seed to have all the seeds, all the death in the, in the world, didn't it? Did it not? One seed, he's saying, all i got to get is one seed back into the earth. And when I do, he said, that seed will produce and reproduce the stars, beyond the stars, beyond all the sand of the earth, on the seashore. One seed. Well, in God's great plan of redemption, this seed would have to legally come to the earth. This seed would have to legally defeat Satan. This seed would have to legally take Satan's lordship off of him and give it back to man. Now, it meant these things had to happen. Number one, God must provide a redeemer. God must provide a redeemer for man that will meet the demands of justice. Number one, meet the demands of justice. Number two, meet every need of man. Number three, conquer Satan. Meet every need of man. Conquer Satan. And number four, Destroy death and bring life and immortality to light. The whole world lieth in darkness, but this one seed must bring life. Remember we said there's no seeds of life. But this one seed must bring life and immortality to light. That's found in 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy 1.10. That Jesus abolished death and its seed and brought life and immortality to light. This is what he must do. All these things will refer to Jesus as the Redeemer, but this is what he must do. Number two, the Redeemer must be incarnate. 
In other words, a spirit being must take on the form of a man or a human body. He must do this. It cannot be any disembodied spirit, but it has got to be a supernatural being, a spirit being. An incarnate one must come to the earth and take on this body. He cannot be subject to the devil. He cannot, he cannot have, you know, Satan's lordship over him. And he must have the same dominion that Adam had from the very beginning. This has got to be if he's going to regain this lordship. See, we saw Adam was made Lord. We saw Satan was made Lord because Adam turned all his authority and dominion over to the devil. Legally. But if God is going to redeem man by getting a seed into the earth, then he's going to have to take these necessary steps and see to it that a man, that someone comes into the earth, a spirit being, takes on the form of a body, a form of a man in a body, human body, and brings the seed of life back to the earth. He can't be under Satan's dominion. He must be a substitute for man. He must become sin. And he must suffer the consequences of that sin. Now you remember over there in John's Gospel, the first chapter and verse 4. Remember what it said? In him was life. And the life was the light of men. In him was life. Jesus had within himself the seed of life. And the life was the light of men. He brought life and immortality to light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In John 10, 10, I am come that you might have what? There is no life. Everything is dead. Everything is cursed. But I am come that you might have life. Because in him was life. And have it more abundantly. You remember over there in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, that his body was prepared for him. But go to John's Gospel, the 12th chapter with me, and I'll show you something about this seed. Oh, when this, these things just fall in such a pattern, they just flow with the Gospels. They flow with the, with the plan of redemption. They flow with everything from Genesis right on through to Revelation. They flow with God's order from the beginning. They flow with God's laws of Genesis. God does not do anything haphazardly. He does things legally. He does things honestly. He does them with all the wisdom He has. In this 12th chapter of John, verse 23, And Jesus answered them and saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He was glorified in once. He left that glory. But now listen, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn or a seed of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Although there's not one tomato seed left on the earth, if somebody were to bring one in and plant it in the ground, it would bring forth much fruit. There'd be many seeds. But there is no life in the earth. It's under bondage to Satan. Satan is the Lord over the earth. Man is destroyed in the earth. His dominion is destroyed. But here, Jesus said, except a corn or a seed of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. He'd be the only one with this life in Him. He'd be the only one living with eternal life. But He said, no, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you. And when I do, I have to be planted into the earth. And when I'm planted as a seed into the earth, He said, I will bring forth much fruit. Jesus was the first fruit, but blessed be God, there are many, 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 many thousands and thousands upon thousands more since Jesus has been planted in the earth. 
I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'll start to shout here in a minute. Let's read the rest of it. He that loveth his... Verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it... Keep it unto life eternal. I'm sorry. <laughs> he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall... He also my servant be, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour, but for this cause came I in, unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it, said it, said that it thundered. Others said it, and angels spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world to be cast out. And if I, if I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If I'm lifted up from this earth, planted into the earth, lifted up from this earth in my death, I will draw all men unto me. And the lordship of Satan, the prince of this world, shall be destroyed. And I'll be the Lord over all the earth. That's what he said. You see, it's his plan unfolding. You see God's plan of redemption unfolding for us? Well, we've got to go back to Philippians, the second chapter. And uh, I believe we're going to close it here. I'd like to give you the whole thing in one night. I'd love to do it. <laughs> Amen. Oh, glory to God. I'm so excited about it. Thank you, Father. Jesus said, I'll bring the seed of life. I'll come back to the earth. I'll give up my glory. I'll take on that human body. I'll humble myself, Father. I'll bring it with me the seed of life. I'll bring it into the earth. And that same earth that was supposed to be seeding good seed, that has been bringing up nothing but thorns and thistles and death and calamity and cursing and etc., etc. He says, I'll go to that earth and I'll plant my seed of life. I'm not willing to keep it for myself. You know what he's saying? God could have been selfish in keeping his own life. It was the only seed of his sort of living, of his sort of life. There was no other seed like it. Adam had it and could have lived eternally with it. But there was no other seed like another seed of the Father God, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But he said, I am willing. Now listen to me. He didn't take on him angels. But he took on him the seed of Abraham. An angel didn't die. If an angel died, what would it reproduce? Angels. If an angel or a disembodied spirit died, what would it be reproduce? Its very own life. Are you ready? It was deity that died for humanity. It was Zoe life that came to the earth. We're not angels. We've been recreated into the likeness and image of God. Seed produces after its own kind. Jesus brought the seed of life. God's life. And when that seed was planted to the ground and was raised from the dead on the day of Pentecost, the first fruits of the harvest is when that seed actually bore fruit and reproduced itself as Adam should have done it. But now it's the Holy Ghost through the Word 
reproducing the very life of God in a human being. Hallelujah. Jesus said, I'll do it. Jesus said, I'll do it. Well, over here in Philippians, the second chapter, this is where he, this is where he begins to share with us, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Ghost, how Jesus did it. We've got to start here in verse 5. I'm going to read it to you. We'll have to close it here. And we'll pick it up tomorrow. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. In other words, who holding the seed of life in his person. Thought it not robbery to be made equal with God. To be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. He stripped himself of that glory and made himself of no reputation. Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men with the seed of life in him. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because of it, God highly exalted him and given him a name. Now that portion of scripture, the latter part of it, will share with you and with me what God has done for us. Your question is now this. What has God done for me? What has He done for me? Here I am on this earth. The world's lying in darkness. Wickedness is all around me. Circumstances are destroying my family life, etc., etc., etc. We could go on and on and on and on and on. I'm losing my job. I don't know what to do, etc., etc., etc. What in the world am I going to do? You say, what has God done for me? It's a sad question, but a lot of people don't know the answer to that question. And when you find out the answer to this question, beloved, and you really find out what Jesus did for you, what God did for you through His great plan of redemption, it'll get you to shouting from here till you go home and back up to heaven again. And when you find out thoroughly and understand what God has actually done for you, it'll be no problem for you to walk over the devil and tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy because Jesus is the Lord of your life. And His Lordship is over the heavens, over the earth, and under the earth. That's how far reaching His authority is. Question number three is this. What has God done for me? I want to spend the whole night just talking about what God has done for you. Tomorrow night. So are you full of the joy of the Lord? Let's bow our heads. I'm not done, but bless God, I'm just stopping. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am, and I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.